This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, an informative podcast with the various aspects of tabletop role playing game genre. I am Kenneth Moffat, aka the Southern GM, and with me we have the usual suspects, Mr. Brody Elder Fenris. Oh. And the man himself, James the Hive Father Bardwell. Welcome to the show. We apologize for being gone over the uh, the holiday break. It was hectic, family, and all kinds of stuff. But we are back, and we are better than ever. And we want to thank you guys for sticking with us, for listening to us, and for just enjoying the community that we all inhabit and love playing tabletop games. Now, so I think we will begin our, I guess, unofficial second season, if you want to call it that, as it is a new year and a new us. We're even at new positions in the table, folks. I mean, you they can't see it. They moved us around. It's they moved us around. It's like the Mad Hatter's Tea Party in here. I'm glad none of us are any sort of like neurodivergent and have an issue with, with change. I, it, uh. Yeah. Change. <laughs> so we will be discussing a topic today that is something... Something that happens in the RPG community, no matter the system, no matter the game, no matter the table, there is always going to be that one person that you will refer to as the chaotic player. They're the one that sees the the randomness of the system, the weird things that happen in storytelling, and they try to recreate and force those to happen in scenes that maybe should not have that kind of randomness. The, uh, I instantly go to like characters like uh, Scanlan from Critical Role, that very kind of chaotic player that has been done right and wrong sometimes. For me, I, I think like one of the biggest things is there's a time and a place uh, for that, and two degrees, you know. And you've got to you got to peg when the get the right time, the right place, and the right degree. There's a helpful amount of chaos, and there's a a wrong kind of chaos when it comes to uh, players doing that in your games. James is one example of uh, helpful chaos in some regards. <laughs> I may have been accused of doing some out-of-the-box stuff. Well, you mentioned that, you know, helpful chaos. Well, let's, as I often say, let's define our terms here. The chaotic player is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, it could be helpful. But that kind of player is one where any sort of chaos that they do, the repercussions, the consequences fall mainly on them. And you have the opposite of that, where it's the character that they don't care about the consequences or who they affect. They just want to do something funny and chaotic, even if it derails the entire storyline. Uh, I think I don't think the discussion kind of needs to go from the the bad to the good. So we'll, if you don't, if you guys don't mind, we'll start with the sort of the bad chaotic player. The, for lack of a better term, what people often refer to as chaotic stupid. They just do something without even giving any forethought to what could possibly happen. For me, the, the line of demarcation there is when a player makes the decision, does this benefit um, my fun and my scope alone? Am I, or, you know, am I sacrificing something of the game to get this line off or do this thing like you know trying to steal the king's crown because I think it would be funny or whatever, and you make the wrong decision? That's the negative for me. And that is one big thing. It's where the the chaotic, the good chaotic player, they want their chaos to further the story. Yeah. They don't want it to to stop it or to, you know, derail the entire campaign. As I have I've been in many games where the chaotic player will do something random just to be random and suddenly I'm going, 
congratulations, you're now banned from this city where every yeah. aspect of this campaign was supposed to take place. Um, I'm going to need some time to try to fix this, or I can just say what you did did not happen, and you roll me a new character. You keep doing that enough, I will ask you to leave my table. Yeah, so you you never, ever want to do something so far off the mark that it pulls the game away from being played, right? If there's something that, like, we've often used the example of stealing the crown off the king's yeah. head. Oh, that's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. There's guards everywhere. You're going to get your ass kicked and thrown in jail. Done. Yeah. That, that's, that's the consequences for that. Things that have, that, that cause issues on that scope are what you want to avoid. It's okay to do something chaotic, like we need a distraction, like the curtain's on fire. You know, it's okay to do something, you know, kind of out of the box as long as it moves the game forward in a healthy way. But when you start creating problems for the other players because they don't have any options to react to what yes. you're doing or you're creating problems for the dungeon master because they don't have any way to not take you out of the game at that point, yeah. you have screwed up. You've really screwed up. And we're not saying like, we're not saying that it's not okay to try to swipe the king's crown. But because I've seen I've seen great sessions where they in the middle of a coronation they had to take they had to take a piece or a part of the crown they set up illusions there was traps there was diversions this entire long process and yes in the end they got the crown they swapped it and nobody was the wiser it's not the rogue just running up grabbing the crown off the cushion and trying to run away yeah that seemed way more organized and planned than chaos yeah that's. <laughs> The, it was one of those where somebody goes, okay, we have to gain access to this crown. It's normally under lock and key. Well, when is it not going to be under lock and key? Well, during the coronation. Guys, let's steal the crown during the coronation. Okay, that's a great idea. Let's build on that. Where can we go from that? So that for me, that goes back to the, the indicators I was talking about, yeah. the degree of chaos, the timing, those things. Because if your goal is steal the king, I mean, steal the crown— <laughs> Wow, we took an entire look, step there. Look, I, I would I would play that game. Let's steal the king. Um, but if your goal is to to steal the crown from the king, um, that is not the time. No, and that is not the degree to which you would do that, and the game still be healthy. The the whole just snatch it off his head and run away. That's not it. An example, or a I guess a red flag to look for when a player is about to do something chaotic, stupid, chaotic that's going to throw the campaign off the rails is when they look at the, the player looks at the table and goes, okay, guys, I've got a plan. And then suddenly they're like, okay, well, what's the plan? And they look at their, their, fellow, their fellow party members who they are trying to build the story with, who they're trying to do all this with, and they just look at them and go, trust me. Nope. 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 It's well, a group game. We're going to be involved. <laughs> well, that's the thing. A lot of players, a lot of the chaotic players have that concept of, if the DM knows what I'm doing, he's going to try to stop it. I cannot. I can. That that causes me issues to no end. When a player wants to do something and they're like, "I'm going to do a thing, but I'm not going to tell you anything about it. I just need you to make a roll." Like you're on the wrong side Out of the, the screen, screen for that yeah. conversation. Well, it's like I mentioned in the earlier podcast where some of my players, when I when I trust them and their storytelling, I will let them do that kind of stuff. Well, they'll go, okay, we want to build this. We have something happening. We'll give you a general idea about what's going on, and then kind of will that sort of stuff. But not, you know, okay, I, I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing because they may try to stop me. Yeah. It's, it's the, the DM is not there to stop you. We are there to set, I guess the best term is we build reality. We, we facilitate. We facilitate. We are facilitators. And sometimes 
reality, you know, the facilitation may not go in your favor. Mm-hmm. That's realism. Yeah. That's realistic. The For a good story, you have to have the opposing force that wants to stop you, be it some big bad evil guy or be it a locked door where a king's crown is set behind. I think the one of the issues is like the immersion of realism in a fantasy world, right? Yes. Because the, the chaotic players that are causing trouble are an opponent of realism, yes. right? And you'd need a degree of realism for the game to, to carry. Yeah. Uh, so the challenge then for the DM and the players is to find a way to mesh the realism and the fantasy elements. And I think that is, we got to steal the crown. Well, okay, well, when's it not guarded? You know, because you would, even doing something that crazy, you would want to have the best chance at it. You know, you don't want to just smash and grab with guards all around. The realism tells you, when is it not guarded? Can we use illusions? What can we do? Is is there somebody on the inside we can pay off? That kind of stuff. You can build a more immersive game doing that. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You you can still play chaotic. But keep in mind that you need to have enough realism and cohesion that you're not disrupting the game for everyone in a way that they can't come back from. Yes. Uh, now, a a lot of this stems from the the players that, speaking of realism and, and game mechanics, I have found a lot of these are the ones where, well, my my stat is a plus twenty five, so I shouldn't I should be able to do this no matter what I want, no matter what I roll. Okay, first of all, man, again, we'll we'll, we'll keep the same example. You're trying to walk up and swipe the crown off of a a large dais in the center of an open courtroom uh, throne room. There are dozens, if not hundreds of guards here. There are ranking nobles. There is a king. There's his personal bodyguards. There is a, an arch cleric. You just want to walk up and grab the... No. Well, I, I rolled a natural... It doesn't matter what you rolled. This is... It's, it's not happening. Well, you're just not... You're, you know, you're, you're arcing back. You're gatekeeping. I'm going to do what I want to. No, I'm not letting you ruin my game. I'm not letting you ruin the experience of everybody else. Realism tells you that they're not going to let you get close enough to the crown to begin with to touch it. Yes. There are people there, several, whose whole job is to keep people from touching that. So walking up and just grabbing that, that's not you're not going to get there. Uh, by the way, a tip for any uh, DMs, GMs, game masters listening, always level up your city guards at least two levels underneath your player's level. That way, three city guards can take out one player character. And, I, and this is the first time my natural ones will hear me say that. Thankfully, they've never, I can say wholeheartedly, like even with, even with uh, Montel, he, he is that good kind of chaotic. Everything yeah. he has done, if it goes wrong, the only person that it will be detrimental to is himself. Yeah. If it goes correctly, it advances the storyline. Mm-hmm. He doesn't uh, steal from his fellow party members. Yeah, I will boot players for that. Um, anything that breaks down party cohesion, I, I'm not for, more or less. I'm okay like with them having contention and things and their backstories and all that, but just outright causing the party to kind of disassociate from each other, uh, to that degree, I, I, I'm not okay with it. I've had a few instances of that, too, and I'm, I don't like it when party members are like, I'm going to steal from the other party member. I'm like... Why? Okay. Because they have something I want. Well, talk to them about it in game. Don't try to steal from them. You're intentionally creating conflict within the party. One example that comes to mind is a very famous one that's been talked about a lot. Again, we'll use critical role because one is the most common uh, 
social D&D game. A lot of people know it, a lot of people have seen it. One of the cast members was not there that evening. Well, he had an item that this other player wanted, and so while the cast member was not there, the other player decides, hey, let me try to get that item from this person. The DM's like, man, I'm not doing that. That's their item. That's their agency. I'm not going to override their agency for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And a lot of your Celtic players are like that. They're trying to gain an advantage for themselves versus getting an advantage for the party or for the story. I think I'm fortunate that I've, I don't, that I can recall, I don't have very many instances in my gaming experience where I've had completely total chaotic players that are disruptive. I can think of like one or two, but it, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, it was, it was dealt with, but not in a way that was completely detrimental to the breaking down of the game. I, I've seen a lot of it. Ha- I've had it happen once or twice as well. Thankfully, with the exception of one time, it wasn't me that had to step in. It was the other players stepped in and said, uh-uh, no, you're not doing that. If you do that, you're going to have to face all of us right now because we will put you down. And so he's like, well, I just want to do this and this. We have a plan, dude. Stick to our plan. Our plan will work. Yeah. Like good players, I've played with a lot of good players, but a great player, to me what a great player is, is someone who creates opportunities for the other players to shine. Yes. Um, I, I have I have a pet peeve, and it's sitting down with a player, and all they want to do is look at how shiny I am, look at how shiny I am, and they turn every situation to them. You know, somebody else is working through their story, and they're like, yeah, but look how your story affects me. You know, that really grinds my gears for me it's the people like travis willingham those guys you know they just make opportunities for other people to be seen in the game even if at the very beginning where he was grog and you could tell travis didn't know the system very well he would still you know like you know here pike what do you think we should do or yeah or vax there is a you know there are uh, vax there's a there's a locked door here we he would push others into the spotlight yep. where in turn they would then turn around and go, okay, Grog, come here, we need you. They they will it's a give and take kind of and thing. And that is so healthy and it it like bonds the players together, yes. it bonds the party together. Uh it just it really makes for great cohesion. Now, Travis is also a good example of a chaotic player that will do things just to trigger events too. Yeah. Like um pushing a red button that he found <laughs> on a painting when no one else was looking, and he's like, I don't think I should do this. Poke touches the button oh he uh ford got sucked into an alternate dimension within a uh, a dimension and so now the party has to go find him and it's like he he, (laughs) travis is notorious for doing stuff like that uh, yeah or i i have a pack of cards here i'm gonna draw i'm gonna draw three cards Or for, uh, he got some rando to draw a card Card for him i got the wish spell yeah that was yeah that was great but again, you can always tell that there is never any any attempt at maliciousness. It's always more of a things are kind of stagnating right now, or nothing really going on. Let's uh let's throw a little bit of chaos into it, and that's fine. That is fine. That's that's healthy chaos. That's healthy, it, yeah. Like when when I've I've ran games before where I've created a situation, unfortunately, on occasion where the players didn't see a clear path, right? And at that point, I think that's the perfect opening for the chaotic player yes. because that creates an opportunity because nobody really knows what to do for them to do something outside of the box that can move the story forward. Yes. You know, in that place, I'm, I'm thankful for a chaotic player. Because there are times as a, as a GM where you may, what may be apparent to you in your notes is not apparent to your players. And yep. that's a perfect time to try things. Yep. 
that's most of my experience is uh, chaotic players causing things to happen. That also springs the story forward a little bit or yeah. gets things out of a, a, a funk or a, a uh, staleness. Like the party sitting around, they're talking and, you know, people are starting. To, you can you can tell yeah. looking around the table that are winding down and then one player will go and they'll do something and it just triggers a whole landslide of things. And it's like, oh, you're looking down at your notes and you're going, oh, thank you. Thank God that you did that because I was looking for an out. <laughs> yeah. I remember the time where like it was after a after a big event, the the party was just relaxing. Like, guys, we still have like a couple hours left. What are we going to do? And it's OK. I'm not saying it's always the rogue. But this time it was the rogue. He snuck off because he remembered that uh, he had saw he was, he was trying to look for something in the city. But he he came across uh, this group of other rogues breaking into the uh, like the jewelry the, the gym depository, convinced them, oh, I'm the guy you're waiting for. Goes down in there with them. Suddenly guards show up, so he's having to fight but not kill the guards. Well, one of the guards goes running out to the local, you know, go get the local heroes, which is his party. So they come running back to stop this. They show up and the rogue is just standing there like with knives out going, well, crap. Um, uh, they pretended not to know him, but they were the, they, he was the one they knocked out for questioning. And it, it was great. I'm here going, this is something entire now. Cause now you've got, you've messed with this local, uh, thieves guild. Now they, you know, they can, I it was able to bring more and more story into it. I, I do think the Barbarians player, uh, which was his girlfriend, by the way, was really funny. The Barbarians player got a little bit of satisfaction uh, when she nat 20 to knock him out. <laughs> like, okay, you're going to do like more, like twice the amount of damage you needed to, to, you know, to put him to zero. Do you want it to be lethal? She's like, no, that's non-lethal damage. I'm like, okay, you just, bam, you're pretty sure you dislocate his jaw. I had an instance in one of the earliest games that I, I ran um, where I had a, a moment where the party came across a cursed sword. It was like like straight up sticking out of the ground, like Excalibur style. And they're like, <laughs> it's glowing with like a malevolent glow. And it's like, clearly that's, that's evil. I'm not touching that. And the whole party's like, we're not touching that. There's one player. And I, I, I know him. I, he, he did things intentionally. And he was like, I'm going to touch it. And they're like, no, don't. And he goes, yeah, it's probably bad. They camp. In the middle of the night, he yep. gets up. He goes over there, picks the sword out of the ground. And he's like, what happens? <laughs> so it's a cursed weapon. It starts talking to him and tries to mind control him. <laughs> And he's like, yep, I knew this was going to happen. I was like, you did this. You went over there and picked it up. We all have that one player that if we want them to do something, you just put the shiny object on there and say, don't touch. What's the famous phrase? Uh, That's bait. If there was a button that said end of the world, the paint would not dry before somebody had pressed it. Kind of another red flag for like uh, players and DMs. Now, I... I understand there is a vast majority of players who do these kind of things because one, they don't know better. They see other players do things like this and get away with it because maybe they have the experience or they have the stats and we'll get into, we'll get into relying on stats here in a second. But a lot of your newer players, they just want to recreate the things that they see. Yeah. A look, we all like watching anime. Very few of those anime protagonists can work in a D in a, in a tabletop role-playing game. Oh Yeah. Because that 
protagonist is built to be, you know, me versus the world. Whereas a tabletop game, you have a party versus the world. Like I had one player that wanted to be the main character from Black Clover. Like, man, I'm sorry, this, this, you, you, it's an interesting idea, but you literally cannot have a weapon that cuts off magic in my high fantasy world. That's that is main character syndrome. Yes, main, and and I, I love the fact that he's and he hit every trope. Like he, we literally started in a tavern. I, I that was my, we started in a tavern. Yeah, he was in the corner, you know, just being the lone wolf. At one point, put up po- boots on table. Tonight will be the night. <laughs> <laughs> Like at one point, the party, the other party members go to stand up to leave and go take care of something. And I look at him and I'm like, okay, dude, what are you doing? They're just leaving me? Yeah, you've not interacted with them. You've given them no reason to come. The fact the one person, the half of them came to talk to you, you snapped at and told them to leave you alone. You're sitting there in your your broody, emo, goth self, and they're just going to leave you behind. Okay, well, I I guess I'm going to go help them. That would probably be wise. Well, if if you've gotten yourself in that situation, like if that was me, which I'm, I'm I'm going to make sure I connect to the party. Yeah. But something goes horribly wrong. I don't connect to the party. At the very least, I follow them. Stealth, you know, it, it, give an opportunity somehow to interact with them. Uh, like the I'm I'm playing a game ran by Brody right now, and we have a uh, a new. Uh, he's kind of a newer player playing V, right? Uh, he's played the last time he played was like 3.5. Okay. So it's been a long time and he's granted he's very new yes. to like this edition. So a lot of the stuff like a lot of the cuz he's hitting he's hit a few of these and I don't fault him for that because one he doesn't know better and two it's funny to see what happens when he fails falls face first. It's yeah. great. Um <laughs> I, I I looked at him and I was like he's a huge anime fan yes, and yeah, I mean, yeah. he's just like the rest of us. I said <laughs> you weeb and he's like yep I know. I was like, why are you doing this? He's like, because that's what my character would do. Oh, no. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Right there. We're going to stop and focus on that phrase right there because it's what my character would do. I, you mentioned pet peeves and I, this, I could do a whole Ted talk on, on that phrase right there. To be <laughs> fair though, Cameron is not that type of person. He is not. I, I love, I love playing with Cam. I love the whole dynamic that my character in V has. Because he basically he's like a sixteen year old kid with more money than he knows what to do with. Paid me to be uh like to be his bodyguard. So I'm like, okay, sure. If you pay me, I'll do it. And he goes, boom, gold. I'm like, oh. He's like an assassin that's not very good at his job, <laughs> and he's learning things the hard way. Yes, and Look, it's great because it is a whole learning experience for him. The one time I sat in with with those guys, like Cam and I, we had great synergy. Just that energy together, it was. It was good. I enjoyed it. I kind of want to get in a game with him at some point. I love point. Cameron playing in my games. Like, when he had the chance, he's like, hey, you have, you're running a game? I was like, yeah. And he's like, I want to play. And I was like, heck yes. It's been years since you've played with me. I mean, the, the dynamic that, like, my character Bragi and Cam's character V has, it's very much very much the, like, God of War Atreus. I'm just like, go, go over there, boy. Go, go over there. Boy. Just you go over there and you shoot from a distance. I will take care of this. <laughs> But no, you so but the that phrase, uh, that's what my character would do. Now, like everything, there is two sides of that coin. You have the the healthy good side, then you have the uh the tumultuous, the unhealthy, bad side of it. Where well we'll you know, we'll we'll pick on rogues again because they're fun too. Um it's the the players that 
Uh, well, my backstory says I am an assassin. I was raised in a thieves guild, so I, I have to steal everything I see. Your backstory doesn't say you're kleptomatic. Why are you trying to take? Why are you trying to steal everything from your party? Well, it's what my character would do. N- no, no, it's not. See, that's that intensity dial. Like you got to hit that in the right spot. And I'm a, I'm a thief. You know, okay, that every, the normal person's on like a one or a two there. You're probably up to like a five, yeah. right? But the I'm going to steal everything that's not nailed down. I'm going to do things that are stupid to try to steal stuff. You got that on 10. I'm going to need you to dial it back some. Because let's say, sure, let's say you you grew up in a thieves guild. You were trained to be a thief. The fact that you were not stuck in a prison somewhere says that your character was trained to know when and where yep. to steal stuff. Time and place. Time and place. Another class to not just completely solely pick on rogues is uh, warlocks have a tendency to lean into the edgelord darkness and do things that the party would go, hmm, that's, I don't like what you're implying here. That seems really dark. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you shouldn't sacrifice those puppies to whatever dark god you worship. See, I think some of that dialogue is fun as long as you have an opposite to react to that. And you're not really trying to sacrifice, you know, another party member to what a I guy. Love is Just when play it you, off like you might be. What I love is when you can get the, the dark emo warlock and the happy-go-lucky cleric or druid. Because <laughs> the two of them always end up becoming the best of friends. And it's this weird dynamic that I love. Yeah. Someone will die. Of fun. Yeah. It's like, that's the, the part, their dynamic. Like, I'm going to kill everyone in that room. No, you can't. I'm going to kill most of those people. No, we're not doing that. One of those guys is going to die. Okay. Well, the bad guy, yes. <laughs> like in, in Brody's game, I play I play Hexblade Warlock, and I, I purposely try not to lean into the, the deep brooding, you know, I like to think I haven't done it yet. I mean, they're... No, Broggy's been pretty uh, upbeat so far. Yeah, I'm trying to keep the more like, you know, yeah, I have no idea where this ancient item came from, and I really don't care that I got it. I'm just trying to do my own thing. Like, I don't really... Yeah. To be fair, this party so far has not trauma-dumped in any way. Like, y'all have all been pretty upbeat despite all the stuff (laughs) that you have experienced in four days. Look, I... I, I love playing high charisma characters because I myself am very high. I can, fi- I can find a silver lining in most things, which is why I don't like the rogue that just wants to sit in the corner. That's why for a while there, I always made the joke, no tavern in my world had corners. They were all circular. All so there, circular. There, were, there was no place to sit. Tavern's just a silo at that just point. Just a silo at that point, yeah. <laughs> but you, again, and I, love, Brody, I love the fact you bring up all these different things. Like, you know, the a very common, a common trope for the chaotic player is that, you know, both of my parents died when I was very young. How young were you? I wasn't born yet. What? Hang on. But it, 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 it's that that is that is a very much hyperbole aspect. But it is like that sometimes. They they want to make themselves the the center of attention in ways so that when they do the chaotic thing, somebody can go, "Hey, that's cool. Let them lead." And but this thing, not you don't always have to. It's you working as part of a team. Each, at each point, each team member will have a time to shine. Right now may not be your time to shine. It's okay. Another thing is that these are often the players that they want to do everything. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to, you know, if, and again, a very common one for like the rogues, rogues, you know, I want to sneak off and do something. Well, they're, they're, they're trying to get your way into the end of the castle. I'm going to sneak over the wall and get into the, so you're going to sneak into a place you're not supposed to be. If you get caught, you're going straight to jail as opposed to letting your your bard over here 
talk your way into this castle. Sure, you're allowed to be there. Or uh, you know, the barbarian, I'm going to use my strength to push this door open. Uh, the rogue, I'm going to help him. You've got a minus two to your strength. I don't care. I want to help him. Sure. Oh, look at that. You're on natural one. You, uh, you slipped a disc. You're, you're down. I'm sorry. It's there. I'm not saying that, you know, multiple people can't do the same job in a party. It's always, it's like, again, like James said, there's a time and a place for yeah. everything. Well, I mean, just by the nature of the game, we're constantly as characters doing things that would land us if in jail or are so dangerous that it, it makes no sense to be trying to do it anyway, like fighting a dragon or just, it, we're doing that stuff all the time, Yeah. but it's how you go about it. It's, it's the time you do it, the place you do it and the intensity with which you approach it. You think after a while you just get up and move to a different city where this stuff doesn't happen as much. Right. Like I want to play a role playing game where I'm a farmer. Well, what are some of your experiences with a non strictly D and D related, uh, chaotic elements i mean i've i've had a lot of experiences where the the chaos player uh quote unquote chaos player has thrown a proverbial monkey wrench into the plans but it didn't i love how hard you're trying not to look at me i love it (laughs) didn't derail the story it merely caused a new path to form and it's like oh this is new territory where's the train going now because it is off the rails oh so you want a story where instead of a monkey wrench they threw a 40 ton concrete block in front of the train and the train just barreled into it head on and did not go any further well i mean that or it just barrels through and keeps going you're like oh well this is this where we're going now because that's how most of my experiences have been uh there i have i have several one of the more this was one where as soon as it was started to happen i went uh stop in GURPS, you, uh, you have what are called advantages and disadvantages. It's kind of how, because in GURPS, you, it is a point-by system, and you can take disadvantage to give yourself more points to build a better character. Your average, uh, to equate it to like uh, games with levels, your average level one character in D&D has roughly 150 to 200 points character points in GURPS. Uh, like you can get up to a thousand point characters, which is like your, like, you know, epic tier. Well, I normally start, you have, you know, 125 point character with 25 points of advantages. One of the disadvantages in GURPS is called lecherousness. The description of lecherousness mm. is that if you find something attractive, you are more likely to pursue it. Very innocent description. I love playing lecherousness, especially as like, like cobalt or something like that, because you just like, you'd open the door. There's a cobalt standing there with a, with a thing of flowers and chocolates going, hi, how you doing? Um, you do anything this evening? That, that, that's to me, that's how you play lecherousness. You're, you're more, that kind of stuff. You should tell that to the entire anime community. I think they're confused. Yeah. Uh, however, <laughs> this one individual was playing lecherous and there was a part in the story where the, the wizard had cast a mass sleep spell on about eight or nine people. I already feel uncomfortable for where this is going. Yeah. He, he asked a, this individual, they asked a question and I'm going to stop as soon as I ask, cause I'm going to stop as soon as I ask the question. He asked how many of the unconscious people are female. Mm. And that's where I stopped him. I think I would probably pause the game and bodily remove him from the room. It was more of a, give me your sheet. Give me your character page. Okay. This is not cool. At least away from my table. Yeah, 
But before that, because he was also uh, like, you know, everything everybody else did, he wanted to do it too. Well, if somebody was trying to talk their way into something, well, I want to help talk them. Uh, well, they're trying to negotiate. I'm going to help negotiate. Well, they're no, picking a God. lock. I want to help pick a lock. Relax. And I, the thing is, I looked over his, his character sheet. There really wasn't like there was no, he was he was useless. All of his skills he had had no effect. He had no combat skill. He didn't even have a because in, in Gerbs you you have a brawling skill which is like hand to hand combat. Didn't even have that. It was just nothing. It was useless skills that I don't think he knew what they did. So see to me that it sounds like that goes back to what we had mentioned a while ago, which is the seed of a problematic chaotic yes. player slash character, and that's when. They want to turn the game towards them. Yes. Somehow just stay in that spotlight. And sometimes that's, that's hard to do unless you do something so crazy that it points the game at you inadvertently. Then I have you ever had, I had one where um, he was a secret evil character and nobody knew, not even me, the game master. Yeah, that's not how let's that works. Let, let, let that one sink in. He was working for the bad guy the entire time, and nobody knew it, not even me, the person running the game. That's when the bad guy goes, who are you? (laughs) Well, the thing is, it was all fun and dandy until he revealed himself uh, when one of his fellow players was like at like almost one or two hit points by going behind them. And there is an there's an advantage of GURPS called backstab, where if your opponent is uh, is Unaware you're there, they're surprised, essentially. If you make a successful attack, you crit them. It is an instant critical success. Well, this is the per- well, This is my ally. I didn't expect him. He walked up and stabbed them in the back. Critical success, massive damage, outright killed them. And then he goes, ha, I've been working against you the entire time. Dude, it's session three. <laughs> Literally, it was session three, and he reveals himself as working with, um, I'm like, okay, First off, no, you're still up. That didn't happen. Me and you have to have a conversation right now. That's not the right time to spring the Lannister sin their regards. Yeah, that's... You wait till later in the game <laughs> to do that. Also, you organized that with the person who's responsible yeah. for running the game. Because I was like, dude, that could have been an amazing... Me and you could have worked this out. It would have been beautiful. Could've you could have had up- your own red wedding. Yeah, I could have set up ways, to- ways in game to where you could... It looks like you're trying to help them, but at the same time, you're hindering them. But no, you don't just walk him and go, ha ha, I have revealed myself. Ha ha. No. Yeah. The only instance that I can think of in, my, in, in recent memory, and my memory's failing, is um, I had a player that, I don't know if they were just new or, or what, they had a tendency to want to, I'm trying to say this in the most PG way possible. You can go PG-13. I they think. wanted to mount everything they ran ac- run across. So they were not playing lecherous the correct way. Yeah. They were fighting a shambling mound. And he's like, I'm, I'm mounted. And I'm like, what? Uh, I, I, do you have some sort of... Why? <laughs> and so I'm just looking across the table at all the blank faces. And I'm like, how do I, f- how do I fix this? And I was like, all right, go for it. This thing is gonna tear you apart. Oh yeah, oh, that God. that situation kind of solves itself. I, I'm so he rem- made a new character. I'm sort of reminded on the other other end of the spectrum is the uh, that was the, a long time ago too. The gnome wizard a bard we play with, uh, Metronome. Yeah, 
because it's funny. Like in game, he'll say all these innuendos and stuff, and like he'll he'll make, he'll make jokes and that kind of stuff. But again, he never does anything that hurts. He is he is not a sexy time bar. He's not, and it's great. I mean, and because he'll make all the jokes and stuff, and he'll sound like he is. But when it gets down to brass tacks, not like that at all. I mean, very rarely. And it's never disruptive to the game yeah. either. Like it, it doesn't pull us away from anything. It's just like you know, it's like salting from above. You get the right amount of flavor from it. Uh, and a, like another another kind of way is the, uh, especially in, in, in fifth edition. The what I call the random spellcaster, where you know they they have my I I am so new to my power I have no control over it. So if I cast this fireball and you're in its radius, I I, I that's not my fault. Uh thankfully I I've have only seen those. I've never had one at my table. Yeah, my stories of this kind of stuff like I don't have many, especially from recent times. Uh, maybe like in high school when we were all still kind of new to, to it and everything. Uh, we had a good bit of that maybe. But like everyone I, I DM for now, like I don't have a ton of time. So if I'm if I'm DMing a game for you, I, I really want to be there and I really want to yeah. be around those people. And because of the zero session and the fact that those are the people at the table, they know my temperament. They know where the line is. We don't do that. So again, zero sessions are important. Yes. I... uh. I'm hesitant to even say this, but for some reason, and people have pointed this out to me, I don't know why if I get the chance to play in a game, I when I'm DMing, I love like a realistic, serious story. I have humor and all the, the good elements of a story that should have those, but I, I keep things well balanced, or I try to. When I sit down to play a game, I turn into a chaos goblin. <laughs> I don't understand why. See, I my almost all of my gameplay up until like this past year, maybe two, has always been very serious. There's a little humor there, humor in there, kind of like you said, but it's it's pretty serious gameplay from a character standpoint. Over the last year, like I've had so much stressful stuff going on that like. I just really want to unwind. And I have noticed I have chaos goblined a little bit, hopefully in a healthy way. Is that uh, what it is? Just yeah, stressful I think, unwinding? I think, I think it's just unwinding where you can turn off that part of you that is so engaged in your responsibilities and all that kind of stuff, where you can turn that off and just kind of, you know what, occasionally in my life, I would just like to screw something up. You know what? Just let's let's do it. You I don't see, know. Mine may be more deep seated than that. It goes back a while. I was playing. A, a friend of mine years ago ran a Mutants and Masterminds game. It was very short, so we were just doing it just for fun, just yeah. to play something. And I didn't know what I wanted to play, so I played something a little pre-made, and uh, they allowed me to edit it a little bit. So I played a, a Paragon, which is like the Superman style yeah. character. They had, they were fighting some supervillains in like a populated city street. And there was a guy that was trying to mind control us. It was like, a, it was a big melee going on, a big free for all. This dude was like, had the psionic powers and he was hiding behind a lamp pole. And he was like, had his, his, his hand on his head and he was trying to control one of the other party members. And it's like, <laughs> you were under my will. And uh, he's like, you notice this guy? And I'm like, I'm the only one that notices him? He's like, yeah. And he's like, he's on the verge of controlling one of the other party members. And I was like, I fly at him. And he's like, okay. I fly at him at Mach 3. <laughs> he goes, I'm sorry, what? And I said, he'll never see it coming. 
uh, his mind powers won't be able to trigger fast enough. And for, for those of you who have seen the first season of The Boys, uh, it's the ep- it's the part where uh, where A Train goes around it's, it's just a simple, straight through, just right through. That's essentially what things what happens. There. So is this the situation? <laughs> like I've heard the that that friend group talk about how if they all got superpowers, they immediately get rid of you. So is that where this came from? Not get rid of me. Uh, so there is a long running joke between a this particular friend group of mine that. In the instance, if we all woke up one morning and we all the world had superpowers or people had superpowers and we all had powers, they immediately would put me on a watch list. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Because, um, and this is this is this is Casey's words. As a matter of fact, he's like, "No, we don't outright kill Brody. We we carefully watch him because his mood swings could mean apocalypse one day or happy bunnies the next." It's it's one other person that if we get superpowers, he immediately dies first because he is he's going to be a dictator. <laughs> the, the see, I'm I'm on the other other end of that because when I first started running games and ran GURPS a lot, I was not in a very good headspace. I just wanted people to like to like me and enjoy the game, so I basically gave away the farm and let them do whatever they wanted to, because essentially they were all doing the random chaotic thing. And so now when I stumble in a game, I'm like, my first intention is not to cause chaos and do this. It's, it's okay, let's have a good story. Let's keep yep. the story moving along. I don't want nothing to do that's going to interfere with the story. The story is my main concern. Yeah. Recently, within the last year, um, George, who's been on the podcast before and mentioned numerous times, ran a Pathfinder 2E game Um just to uh, experiment and learn the system. And some of us were like, okay, yeah, that sounds like fun. I got to play with him and just sit in on that. I, <laughs> James has given me a face. I played a biblically accurate Asimar oh, God. paladin and leaned into the creep factor tenfold. Real hard. <laughs> I'm guessing there was a voice. Uh not of not really like a voice uh, i mean i i i did so like okay for me i got to play this game with him just a little bit i didn't start it with him but the way that my initial interaction with this character was i'm playing santiago he's yeah. kind of like my flagship character he's my bard i love the guy um santiago just tries to match energy when he yeah. cuz he jumps into different games a lot um and i'm there and like i see this i'm like yeah edge okay awesome we get in there and we're approaching this bar full of like badass rogues and stuff that are running the town or whatever. And uh, I start like bluffing stuff, right? You know, like, you know, take your eye or something like that, you know, kick your ass. Um, and like we had a conversation about what we were going to do, but I, I didn't mention that this is bluff. So like we go in there and like we get this guy cornered and there's everybody's around us and stuff and like. Brody's character is kind of like the designated tough guy, right? In the situation, oh his head's covered because he's a biblically accurate yeah, angel, yeah, so yeah, which so is I terrifying. A, I have a question about that in a second. And and it's like it's like, all right, my guy's gonna deal with you. And Brody just pops this guy's eye out in the middle of the bar with all of his friends standing around. And like my bard was like, yeah, we're gonna take care of you. Get him. And I'm like, oh shit. You know, because I was like, uh, where do we go from here? Because you can't back down from that. How, I many, didn't, how many eyes did you have as a biblically he accurate? He swallowed it. A lot of them. <laughs> I have a lot of eyes. I didn't understand the difference between uh, a, a bluff and an actual threat. 
I didn't realize that that nuance was going to be missed. <laughs> so uh, I was told that we were going in here to uh, intimidate and threaten them. Very intimidating. I did the only thing that I knew how to. I intimidated them. Yeah, you take a person's eye. That yeah, and then fed it to him. <laughs> oh, you fed it to him. Yeah. yeah fed oh, it I to thought the you guy. said you ate it. No, fed it to the guy. Wow. Okay. We intimidated them. Oh. Oh yeah. So yeah. actually, that's kind of it's kind of a perfect segue because a lot of the issues with the chaotic player, which honestly to me that was not chaotic. That was like it was it was kind of well thought out and that kind of no, stuff. I loved it. It wasn't chaotic. The issue with the chaotic player is a lot of times they look at their character sheet as things they have to do. Like, well, my backstory says this, I have to do that. Or it's like, well, the rule of Magic the Gathering. Just because the card is in your hand does not mean you have to play it. Time, place, intensity. Time, place, and intensity. And now, look, I love a, I love a healthy chaotic player. They can bring so much. Uh, like, you know, that's the whole thing about like, okay, guys, we're, we're, we're surrounded by guards, need a distraction. Um, well, what do we do? How do we get out of here? Light that barrel on fire. What? Look, either way, the guards are going to kill us or this is going to get us out of here. Okay. You light the barrel on fire, make a roll. The fire starts to spread. The guards panic. You have a way out now. See, I think that the key between just playing a game and the chaotic player is one very small thing in that situation. And that is, hey, guys, what if we light this barrel on fire? And then the chaotic player, I like the barrel on fire. Yeah. There is no question. You don't mention anything to anybody. It just happens. Yes. And for me, I think that is is what makes that situation not as okay. And a, and a good chaotic player, will, will they have the forethought to go, okay, if I do this, what could happen? Who could it affect? Mm-hmm. Only affect me? Perfect. Let's go for it. Because I, I I've had multiple players where they would do just outlandish stuff that it works, they get away with, and it's perfect. But I look at them and go, you realize if that role had come up wrong, oh, yeah, yeah I was dead. Or you just, uh, the flip side of that is you try to frame somebody by uh, getting information and you don't find what you're looking for. So instead you decide to light the church on fire and blame it on uh, a bunch of werewolves. <laughs> You could just at me next time, okay? I miss Butcher so much. That funny. works, though. It worked. It's funny. It cause, did. Because Friday we had we had a moment where I was like Brody mentioned. I was like, "Are we are we about to bring the torchbearing werewolves into this game? Is that what's about to happen?" <laughs> I love I love how everybody knows about the torchbearing werewolves. <laughs> it's a rumor now. People talk about these torchbearing werewolves. You know, there was a whole instance where in a non D and D setting, uh, James. Um, <laughs> We were playing uh, uh, the Alien RPG. Matter of fact, uh, Moffat was there for this one. Probably one of my favorite things to play with you. So we, they had discovered the, the crew was still alive on this ship, and James was the captain of the crew of the party. We were, I was the captain of the crew that arrived on the ship that had been lost that we found out that their crew was still alive. Yeah, because our, our so original I, ship blew up. That I was, yeah. technically didn't have any authority on this ship if their captain was awake it's true i preface this then for reasons <laughs> he he was like i'm gonna go uh tend to the captain and everybody's like okay yeah i mean his character will everybody liked and you know um they're for the most part the corporate agent I don't think liked you very much no but um you know it, nobody expected what was about to happen including the dm or the storyteller me and 
uh james takes the other captain aside and was like you know can i get you anything you know are you okay whatnot and he's like you know i just i don't know i'm worried i don't know if i'm a cruise infected or whatnot he's like it'll be okay okay he turns him around and james just shoots him in the back he, he kills him dead and i was everybody at the table was like you did what i took him to my quarters we were in there just me and him i didn't have anybody else in danger and I believe there were some things that led us to believe that we were going to have some conflict between our crew and his crew. Yeah. And it would just be easier if there weren't dissenting voices in leadership. There could only be one captain. My guy was very amoral. I solved the situation. Look at me. I am the captain now. I saw the look at everybody's faces when uh, we were in the, the, the back part of that laboratory and we were questioning uh, the scientists and I just start blasting her kneecaps. We need information. We need information. I, so what we need to do possibly an episode one day about something that I am very, very concerned about in, in the RPG world. How quickly we get to torture. torture? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's uh like I think there may be again some underlying issues. Like <laughs> DD's not therapy, but it's therapy. I, I can't tell you how many times in a game certain players have looked at an NPC who was being kind of standoffish and went, Which one's your favorite finger? What? We'll leave that one for last. Do you do you feel more attached at the elbow or at that, the, the that oh my god, Mr. Brindley <laughs> Mulligan. That moment with the look of Mauritius face. <laughs> do you feel like you're more attached at the, the elbow or at the shoulder? And you can just see everybody's face go, whoa. What? <laughs> now James has done a lot of facilitating things that helped move things along in a progression that is predominantly healthy um it the story may just change a little bit uh it's like i'm scrambling to look at my notes like that's not planned but i'm excited for it because i don't know what's fixing to happen now look i like to think that when god closes a door i need to open an airlock <laughs> <laughs> we gotta put that on a bug or something I love, that's great because i was just thinking when god closes a door i burst through the wall uh, <laughs> but actually, you mentioned that a lot of times the a, the good chaotic player is the one who they can see what's on their character sheet, goes, how can I use this to my advantage, and how can I use this to help the party in some way? Like, like you know, Montel's whole thing with the uh, where he snuck into the, uh, the, the orphanage by himself, got captured by the blood hag, and then the whole thing where he kicked her down the stairs— the way he helped the party is they were like going, where, where are we? Don't, they're out in the street. Where, where are we? We don't know. As he's running, I go, guys, 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 over here, over here, guys. <laughs> like when when we do the, there's a difference for me between playing D&D and when we do the Aliens game. When we do the Aliens game, when I go to my character, I think in a cinematic perspective. Yeah, that's fair. I Like I play that specific game as if I were watching a movie and I want to see like, what kind of impact does this have? Does it fit within the movie? Like, would this be a good scene? Like, that's literally how I think when I'm playing the Alien game. And the Alien game has a really different feel. And that, that that's... That's a pretty good way of looking at it, too. I mean, I, I try to run all of my games in a very cinematic style. But, I mean, Alien RPG does have a tendency it lends it, to it very it well leans into like it when, hard when your when your character got us come up and it's like i just see on screen yeah. as as you're being you know slaughtered the the vials dropping in slow motion 
as my guy's grabbing the airlock, trying to close it. Just uh, you see all this happening, or and I fully expected him like that. That's the kind of yeah, end that the, I saw yes. coming for him. Like when I started playing the character, I knew that what guy he was, right? And like he's not an antagonist to the group, but he's that guy that is in there that can really cause some issues. Yeah. Like that whole scene on the bridge when the 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 first encounter with the uh, neomorph when uh, Cameron the different Cameron yeah. uh, met their end their character met their end and it's like they were hiding it was them and somebody else on the bridge was it Jan or no, it was it was a Michael no, it was Mike one of Mike's characters and um, they were hiding uh on the bridge and the door opens and it's like well it's none of your compatriots they're in a different area of the ship and the hand just curls around the edge of the door frame and, and it comes into view and they're like hiding behind the console sweating bullets and it's like that's a whole on cinematic part yeah. yeah like you could you could be sitting there eating popcorn watching that visual happen. Or, or the scene where the who we knew afterward where's the android is just standing there looking at us all of a sudden you just see boom, he's gone like yeah I, I love things like that, but there's there that game also kind of a it lends to uh, chaotic moments where things can just shift on a dime. Yeah, but that that's that's an, an example where the the story shifting chaotically. That's also the kind of game where if you start doing just random chaotic stuff, it's no there's no excuse. It will affect everybody. Yeah, it can. Yeah. <laughs> that game is just harsh all around. It's like <laughs> literally in the the. Um, Whatever I can't even think straight. The the module for that it says if you don't do this in a specific time frame, the ship just explodes. Yeah, and everybody dies. And it's like start over basically. <laughs> yeah, you don't really get chances like that in D and D or like like fantasy. Yeah, settings because there's always there's always that reason. And I guess that's one thing that the Catholic player is always like, you know, well, this is a place of magic. You know, we can just reset magic the Magic can fix everything. Which is why I have a very, we, we need to do an entire episode about like the magic of a role-playing game and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that'd be a good one. But the the main thing is that for those of you listening, if if you have, we're not saying don't be chaotic, don't be random. That can be fun. But as always, as James says, there's always a time and place and an intensity that is needed. Know, if if you need to steal so if you need to if you have to steal the king's crown don't do it during the middle of the coronation of the yeah. new king there is a time and a place to do everything work your dials they won't always be set the same but make sure you got them where they need to be for that scene and, and don't be afraid out of game to go okay guys this is what i'm thinking about doing i don't think this will affect any of you poorly it can only affect me poorly is is there a, a problem with me doing this yeah, even if the character doesn't talk to the other characters, yeah. the player should talk to the players because those two are separate and they need to be handled differently. Yeah, it's, it's the whole thing of don't give up your player agency for character agency. Yeah. You know, don't don't think that there is, a, it's okay to just go, why did you do that? Why did you kill me on the third session and reveal yourself to be the big bad evil guy? It's what my character would do. Don't be the bard that tries to seduce the dragon in the middle of the epic fight. Yes. You're like, that. oh, she's great. He. What? <laughs> He's a top. Roll for damage. Roll for damage. <laughs> well, we want to thank all of you folks for once again tuning in to Playing With Advantage. Uh, we are glad to be back. Glad for this new year. A lot of things coming. A lot of, a lot of big things about to happen with the Hive Media uh, and on my own with Southern GM and with, uh, with Brody and Stagande, which Brody, if you would like to, I will gladly step down from the podium and let you take over the amazing announcement that's coming down the line 
with the scars of Midgard. So you may or may not have seen on our social media, um, Stigande, Scars of Midgard, is starting back February 5th. Yeah! <laughs> so we we would be very excited and very appreciative if you would come join us on Twitch whenever we uh, return live. Our, our exact time... Um, will be posted later, and we'll we'll have more information on that on our various media outlets. It's uh, look, guys. If you haven't wa- went over to uh, Stagande on YouTube and watched the, I think there's it's seven episodes up. Yeah, yes. The past, it's, it's great. I, I love it. You'll see some amazing storytelling. The uh, the, the, yeah, look, they're more professional than the Southern GM. They've got a miniature cam. Okay, I'm working on it. Give me time. <laughs> it's the setup is amazing and great. The actors are, are awesome. Uh, and it's just yeah, you know, three of the the uh, the audio orc, our uh, production war, our production warlock, our tech goblin, they're all part of it. Uh, there there is a rumor that a certain handsome southern GM may be making an appearance occasionally on there. <laughs> yeah, I want an entire trailer in a makeup department. We'll, we'll, we'll get. We'll, we'll, I'll have my people talk to yours. We'll, <laughs> it'll be fine. We'll get it to it. But yeah, uh, Stagande, the scars of Migger. I'm excited. Like, is this? I'll admit the the first time I saw most of you was on Stagande. I told I tell our tech goblin this like I was a little bit starstruck. When I walked, wait, they, they have a show. Oh God! Wow. <laughs> <is>, oh, okay, <laughs> just a little bit starstruck. Now I'm like the goblin, go away. Uh, but yeah, you're gonna so. make my ego swell. <laughs> mm, nope. So. Nope. E- e- easy, 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 boy. Uh, well, so thank you all so very, very much, and we look forward to to more of the future. To hoping. Uh, having you guys, you know, go watch Tagande, go watch my Natural One show. Uh, follow us on Twitter, on YouTube. Uh, like I have an Instagram. There is so much social media out there. Check out the Hive of Macomb, Mississippi, the place that facilitates all of this Woo. with the Hive Media. Uh, if you like us, you know, again, I love, I love the saying so much. Please go, go uh, complete your social media rituals. Uh, if you hate us, tell your enemies. Uh, but yeah. So, folks, with 2023 getting to a fresh new start, we just want to say thank you all so much for journey, for being on this journey with us, and we cannot wait to see where the adventure leads us. So with that, I am Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. the Southern GM. I'm Brody Elder Finn. James at the Hive. Just want to say thank you all so very, very much. Let's roll for initiative.